welcome to Beer Hustle Podcast. <laughs> you saw, you'd say, I'm Mike. Oh, I'm Mike. <laughs> and this is Orlando. So we're thrown off a little bit because this is actually episode 122. No, 120. One thing, even more thrown off. Episode 120, part two. Part two. Part two. And the reason being is because there was so much content on the first one and we didn't want to make it too long an episode. We wanted to break this up to help you guys so you can break down the information. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, please go back and listen to part one. I know it might be a little confusing if you just clicked on the very first one that was on your, you know, your feed. You might be listening to part two and you haven't listened to part one yet. So Go back and check that out if you haven't yet, because there's a lot of great information there. And some of the things we talk about in part two, you're going to need to like have the context of what we said in part one. So uh, we appreciate you listening to both. And the nice thing is you can kind of pick which one was most relevant if you ever have to go back and, and you know, retouch up on something that we talked about. So remember, you're watching episode 120, part two, 10 steps to being a successful new eBay seller. Yeah. All right. Are we ready for some more? Yeah, let's do it. Moving on to uh, number six. Number six. We got five more points to go through. Let's do it. All right. So we were getting into pictures. Pictures. Right? And so when we talked about pictures, right, we talked about that the most important part, next to the price, I would say the price is important, right? And it depends on the model that you're trying to use. Do you want to, right, do the fast and equal and sell a low price? Do you want to hold out and sell a high price? But your pictures, I would say, are everything. Mm. And what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, man, pictures are, pictures are big. A big part of it, a big part of it is some people just don't take good pictures at all and they're not going to make as much. Another part of it is people are taking great pictures and that's your competition, mm-hmm. right? So you've got to be comparable to that. Now I, I'm on the fence. I know the whole algorithm thing of eBay pushing you up as far as like in Google search and Google images because of the white background. I do think potentially, and I know this is debatable and I'm not saying like, this is what you should do. I do know when it comes to certain platforms, Craigslist, maybe Facebook marketplace, um, and potentially even certain, certain items that you're selling on, on eBay, it's probably okay to have a picture of just like an item in, in a place where it's like, this looks like this is like your item and it's not like a resale item, right? Like someone selling couches and it's a picture in their house. Or sometimes when I do VCRs, I actually set it up like in front of my TV and I have it plugged in and show the TV playing. And and that might not be my main picture. I've got pictures of the white background. So there may be times where, I mean, we've talked to people who are really, really big resellers, big YouTube sellers that are like, man, I buy an item. I throw it in my trunk, just in the carpet in the trunk, take the picture, list it. I'm not going to like, kind of like we talked about with the, the titles, like I'd rather get it up and get it sold. than maybe it sits in a death pile forever. Cause I'm not going to actually take the picture. So yes, white, Plain backgrounds, really crisp pictures are going to make all the difference in the world, especially when it comes to covering your butt, getting pictures of flaws, because that's going to be a big thing is showing like, hey, look, I've here's all the places there's flaws. If you you can use vague words, I feel in the description, say like that there are there, the, the item is worn or some damage throughout. And if you take some good pictures showing that you're covered. Now, if you say somewhere and damage without, but you don't take any pictures of damage and all of a sudden they get it and like the big gash that's in the the VCR is like on the back and you didn't show that, you're going to end up with some issues, right? Mm-hmm. So your picture should be one, it should show your item in the absolute best light possible, not light, but in the best manner possible. And then two, it should show your item in the worst manner possible. And you got to do both and balance that. So that way people know what they're really getting. 
So I kind of look at it as like a hook, hook them with the best, but be transparent and show them everything. No, I agree. I agree. I think you bring a very valuable point. Yes, white background is the optimal. But if, if the white background is the difference between you listing and you not listing, just list it. Right. Actually, I do know some big sellers that their pictures are like, OK, and they're not in a white background, but they have a lot of volume. And so they make a lot of sales with my helper. You know, uh, at times she hasn't, you know, one time one of our lights broke and she's like, should I still like take pictures? I'm like, go for it because I want to get these items up. Right. So it's a big deal. Right. In the sense that, yes, pictures need to have a clean white background. They need to be crisp. Right. They, and the other thing is they need to show up close. Right. Whatever flaws are. But ultimately. Right. It's super important. Right. That you just get listed. Now, another thing I want to add, you're going to add something. I was going to say just to, I, I know you can't see this. Maybe I'll actually throw this up on the on like a YouTube overlay. Um, but this is just sold for me. And I use the remove.bg, which you talked about earlier. OK, um, so I and it's funny because this is I guess not really Disney, but this is what I consider the Disney teacup, which actually inspired the uh, the part of our reseller wrap. Right. It was the picking up Disney teacups. Anyways, see how that looks with the white cutout. Mm -hmm. And then I showed the exact same picture before white cutout. You can see the seam. It's not quite it's a big difference. And I've noticed that items that I'm selling that I've taken the time to do the front picture as the remove.bg are selling at a, a faster rate. Yeah. So it just looks cleaner. I mean, you want something that, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to look like it's from a retail stock photo, but you know, people, it catches their eye, right? Because if you have a lot of business around it, they may miss it. Now I will throw out a warning. Do not use stock photos. Just don't. Now I know a lot of people do. Right. And, and there's ways to get away with using stock photo. And I have some listings that do have stock photos, but they're not my front picture because you will get Vero listed. And I know it's an easy way to do things, but I, there are buyers that sometimes they'd rather buy somebody without the stock photo. Cause it actually means you have the item in hand. Mm. Right. So I, I have had buyers comment said, Hey, I would have bought from these other people, but your pictures, it's kind of weird. You said that the, your pictures show that you actually have this item and I'm going to buy from you. And you've clearly shown everything. Now, one thing I don't want anyone to miss is your pictures have to be in square mode. Mm, that's a good point. Right. I, I messed that up so many times. Occasionally I still do. I've gotten a lot better at, at double checking, but yeah, if you take pictures in landscape or portrait mode and it's not square, you're wasting valuable space. And it kind of looks odd when people are scrolling through thumbnails. It just, it, it throws people off and that's not the attention you want. Yeah. So square mode, right? And once you take the picture, don't crop it. Mm. I know that sounds interesting. Now, back in the day, I used to crop pictures, but it looks weird when you crop it because it still doesn't fit to what eBay's formatting is. So keep it square. The other thing I'll say, and this is a new one for me, is don't edit your pictures. Now, you might disagree. I don't know where you land on it, but I know now with Amazon Lightbox, I don't have to edit anything, right? Because the light is bright. It, it shows everything. It's good. But with clothing, I remember back in the day, I used to use this uh, Google uh, extension called Picasa. I used to edit my picture. I actually still use it every once in a while. But here's the thing. If you're having to edit your pictures, you are wasting a lot of time. You're using double time. Right now, if it's a very valuable item that you're going to sell for a lot of money, maybe it's worth your time. But I have found that there is no difference between the pictures that I've edited and the pictures that I haven't edited. Mm -hmm. And if you're having 
problems with having, you know, it's too dark or, you know, it's not quality. It's better. You're better off spending whatever you need to do to get better lighting or, you know, get a light box and so on. So you're not spending that time editing. That's really good. And then another thing too, I would say with pictures um, is angles. And when I mention when I say that, and this, this is one of those things where you start to get more and more advanced, but I think it's a good idea for people to spend maybe a little bit of time learning this. Um, th- here's an example. People with kids, they often take pictures of their kids from like an up angle, from up to down. And those pictures, they look like home pictures. They don't look very good. Look at any professional photographer, people taking pictures of their kids, pictures of their dogs. They get down to eye level, mm-hmm. right? And the picture is actually eye level and much closer than you would expect. A lot of people, when they take home pictures, the subject, the thing they're taking a picture of is really small. And it's from like an angle up looking down. That is just not an appealing angle. It's not the, the angle our eyes want to look at. So same thing with items you're taking a picture of. Pay attention to angle. When you put something, don't just put it down and take pictures from like up to down. Make it look like you're coming from directly eye eye level as if you're holding the item right in front of the eye, maybe even from a down angle up so they can kind of get that perspective. Change perspectives a little bit. And then there's something called the rule of thirds, uh, which again, this is a little bit more advanced. But if you were to imagine you were to divide your your picture up into a, a grid, so three lines each direction and make any of those those where they intersect. So the top corners where they intersect, the bottom corners where those grids intersect. If you can put a key part of the picture on one of those, your eye automatically is drawn to that. So it's just like a photography trick. If you can get like, if there's, if you're taking a picture of a statue, for instance, if you line the eyes up of that statue on that, that top third, it's going to look more appealing than if it's centered and slightly off of that. Right. So think of that, like little things you can do with pictures because you're, you're competing with other people. And as people are looking through, their eye is going to immediately be drawn to certain things and you want to highlight certain parts of your item. So think of angles. Don't just put it on the table, even if it's a white background and take a picture from up to down, but get closer than you think you need to get. Don't have lots of empty white space in the background. Have most of the frame being taken mm-hmm. up by your item and take the picture at like a eye level flat view and not from like an up angle. It'll make all the difference in the world. Yeah. And the other thing I want to add is max out your pictures if possible, all 12. Now, generally three is good. Like for instance, I sell buckles and I probably have maybe only four pictures for my buckles. I don't have 12 and it works out fine. But from our understanding, when it comes to the algorithm, three pictures is the way to go. Mm. Right. And I would say don't take pictures for picture's sake, but you're better off having more pictures than having less pictures overall. Yeah, I agree. And there's some items where it's like, Man, how many pictures can you really do? You're selling a DVD, right? It's like, <laughs> I know, top of the cover, back buckles, of the yeah. cover, you open it, you take another, maybe you flip the DVD over. And there's a certain part where it's like, you know what? If you're going to max them out, sometimes I don't. It's like, okay, I think getting six to eight gets you, I think is the number we said, like in the mm-hmm. algorithm a little bit higher. But like, there's a certain point where it's like, okay, man, I'm just going to take like another angle this side, show this. And sometimes I do. Sometimes like, okay, I'll do a zoom in on the UPC code, right? Like sometimes people want to see that. I'll do a zoom in if it's a DVD, just as an example, or a board game into like the year that it was published. I mean, you got the pictures, get it up there. Cause those are things people might ask like, Hey, what year was this published? What edition of the game is this? So do zoom up pictures of those types of things. And that might help you. Yeah. And I wanted to add, you know, some of you are going like, okay, how do I even set up my pictures? We didn't even go over that. We're talking about pictures. So a couple ways. There are actually three ways. If you're doing clothing, you can do flat lays. Do you do flat lays right now? 
Um, I don't know. No, you do mannequin. Mannequin. Okay, all right. So there's flat lay and there's mannequin. You can do either. There, there. I would say I used to be so anti flat lay when I first started, but there's some people that do a really good job with flat lay. Mm. I think the Poshmark community has been big on flat lays. And so what flat lay means if you're brand new again, this is if you're a new seller, all flat lay means is that you have it flat on the ground. Oh man. I mean, I mean, it's mind blowing, <laughs> but I wanted it. I but know this lingo can be tough to, to but grasp. there's another flat lay. It's with a hanger. Mm. Right. And you know, uh, rally roots, side hustle network. They have great videos on these gigantic hangers that you can put stuff on and you can hang it. So you could do nice. it that way. I don't use gigantic hangers. A lot of the stuff that I do hang Usually it's women's clothing because I only have a male mannequin. Mm. I did sell a Hello Kitty shirt on a really buff dude the other day. Dude, it that's worked. probably what sold it. No, well, actually it was sitting in my inventory for seven years. But yes, mm. it's old. I think I made negative 30 cents on it. Anyways, that's a whole other conversation. But if it was like a My Little Pony, you might have been able to get it to like <laughs> a brony out there. You know, the man, <laughs> the mannequin. Well, okay. But, you know, going back to sourcing... One of the things I always say is when you're the more you research, right, the better you get and not buying loser items. Right. And that's one of the things I wish I had done from the beginning. I have loser items like that Hello Kitty shirt that I shouldn't have picked up. I paid a dollar and I was like, yes, I'm going to make 10. Me and you should just like get all of our loser items and take them to a, a swap meet and just do it. Maybe. maybe. Then you got to delete the listings. and Yeah, but I still sell the loser items for good profit. So. Good profit, yeah. Like, dude, if it if I make five bucks, yeah, man, that's good. Yeah. You know, but you're paying for the. I mean, if you got an, uh, the space in your listings, if you're not maxing out your listings, but if you're getting close to maxing out your listings, drop that stuff because you're that's a listing space every single but it's month. Ten cents, ten cents. A lot of people are like, I gotta save my listing, but ten cents. That's all I'm saying. Like, if it feels like a dollar or two. I'd be like, okay, yeah, I get it. But ten cents, so. This this shirt, okay, there's seven years. I didn't have to pay 10 cents each listing because I had a store, but let's say I did, right? That's $1.20 a year, right? That's $7. That's $9, 7 seven times, da, da, da. so that's $8.40. That you paid to make negative 30 cents. Well, wait, maybe I didn't, but maybe I did. $8.40, okay? And then I sold it for 10 bucks, right? So you take out the, the eBay and PayPal fees. Right. So let's say that's a dollar thirty, right? So we're at nine seventy. Right. And then shipping, yeah, I lost money. Right. But that's a bad scenario. That is very <laughs> no, I would say that is one out of maybe a hundred items that I've sold long tail and made made profit. Everything I've ever sold outside of that one shirt may have been profit. No, I'm I'm sure I lost money on other items, but you know, you get the point I'm trying to make here. Yeah. So don't uh, what I'm telling you is don't list something or pull something because of 10 cents, right? Unless you're going to constantly lose those 10 cents. Like if you already, let's put, let's, let's make the threshold this. If you had something that's already a loser, then you got to get rid of it. Well, after seven years, at what point do you know it was a loser? I forgot that it was listed. Oh, okay. That's all that happened. But I was so excited when it did sell. I was like, yes, finally, after yeah, all these years. Go. Okay, let's get back to pictures. So there's flat lay, right? There's flat lay hanger. And then there's mannequin or womanikin, which is what you need. Yeah, for but, your for your My Little Pony. I know. Well, the no, buff guy probably didn't help. I just use a hanger for my women's oh, okay. clothing. Now, here's one thing that a lot of people don't talk about: there should be no fingers in your listing. 
no like pointing thing like i yeah you've seen those pictures yeah like they're like here's here's the here's the flaw and there's like a finger on the item no one wants to see fingers okay or if you're trying to like show the size and it doesn't stay put like put a little piece of scotch tape behind the tag and press it down don't use your finger to hold down the tag to take the picture do you get what i'm talking about yeah i see what you're saying yeah yeah, because that just, it just looks gross. Like, what were your thoughts about like people using a pen or a pencil to point you out? You could do that. I mean, it doesn't look as pro. I mean, I've always liked the 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 scotch tape in the back. You know, like you fold it. Yeah, yeah, but if you're trying to show a flaw and the size of a flaw. Oh, if you do a flaw. So here's what's interesting. I've never used a pen or anything. I take the picture up close enough, and then when in my description, I'll talk about description a little bit where I'm like, hey, this had da 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 da. Take a look at picture eleven. And that's it. But you can use a pen. I mean, I, there's some people that get even more creative and they like draw a circle with some kind of like other app. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, that's 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 good. I think for signifying, I think one good thing about using like something and I, I don't I don't use stuff, but like I have bought like I bought a pair of pants not too long ago off of eBay um, and it was super awesome brand that I like. And they use the pen to point to like a stain on like right above the knee. And I was able to see the size of the stain too, because it was like, sometimes if you zoom in close and it's like, okay, uh, here's a great big stain, point, but it's like, how, how big is this? And exactly where is it located? But when I see the pen, it's like, Oh, that's kind of like on the inside of the knee. And it's like really small. Like, man, it's fine. I'll, I'll buy it. Right. Yeah, and sometimes if you have a small item, and I was going to say, there's a great point is, you know, put something that's comparable to that size. So people have a better picture mm. of what it is. Right. Cause you might put the measurements in there. Like, for instance, I had this Harley Davidson leather vest ornament, Christmas ornament, and it was the size of a quarter. Mm. In the picture, I almost, you know, it's funny. I I had somebody at one time, I had listed like uh, these uh, dollhouse miniatures or somebody. Does this happen to you too? And somebody, I don't freaking who I was talking to. You have to finish the story before you can ask what happened. Somebody, it was like a, it was like a lazy boy or something. And somebody thought they were buying a real lazy boy for like 50 bucks. Okay. Let me give you my example of that. So I want to do this thing called rooftop tent camping, right? So like some vehicles you can put like these rooftop tents on and they like fold out. They're really cool. And I'm actually want to build a trailer that's going to be my sourcing trailer. And then I'm going to put the rooftop tent on top of that so I can like travel the country and do sourcing while I'm at it. Anyways. I'm looking these up on Amazon and I found like this rooftop tent like thing that would like it was an attachment for a certain type of Jeep. I'm like, oh, I think this might. I cannot believe how cheap this is. I don't understand why this is only like $35 and the rest are like $900. Like this is wrong. Is this just like a cover for it? So I did some research and it was for like a miniature toy and it was the, the top for that. Like it was not very clear in the in the posting, right? So I oh could see goodness. I could see how people can sometimes be confused. Like, man, that's a nice couch. Like, why is it only why is it only forty bucks? Like, well, because it's not a real couch. <laughs> but it's real. It does happen. I'm sharing real experiences. Okay, so pictures, right? Super important. Remember, it's the first thing when people are scrolling through. It's the first thing you're going to see. So the other thing I wanted to say, and well, I think we'll wrap it up with pictures, is make sure your pictures. Not only are up close when it comes to flaws, right? And if there's too many flaws, I'll talk about how you can get around that in your description without having to take a picture of every flaw. But if it's something that has a unique design. So for instance, I posted this on Instagram uh, a couple of days ago where I had like this really cool uh, biker shirt and it was like Laughlin, Nevada, I believe. And it had like the skull and wings and everything. And what I ended up doing is Instead of taking a picture of like the whole shirt, I just put the picture of the patch in the back. So people knew it was a part of the shirt. 
But man, that catches people's eyes right away, mm. right? Because if it's super small and it's a whole shirt, they're just like, oh, it's another great shirt. But you want to capture it. And I would say specifically when you're dealing with clothes or let's say you're dealing with a collectible and there's something that makes it unique, that should be your first picture on there. So just like to share that. So pictures. Pictures. All right. You ready for the next part about listings here is the pricing. Mm. I, I really think pictures are more important than the price. Mm, disagree. Yeah. Okay. Why is that? Uh, I mean, pictures are going to be maybe a deciding factor if there's if there's if if there's a lot of noise and somebody's trying to find a specific one they're looking for if it's between two and they're the same price. But oftentimes, price is going to drive is going to drive above anything else. If there is a significant difference, even a five dollar difference. If if I mean, we, you even talk about the difference between having free shipping or not, right? The psychological difference there. So. I would say price is going to be a bigger influence or have a bigger impact on how fast something sells and if it's going to sell, right? So you can have great pictures on an item that's priced too high. You can have cruddy pictures or or just decent pictures on an item that's priced right or low, and those are going to sell much quicker. So I think pricing is probably more important. Okay. I see your argument. I will say, make sure you you list it based on the model that you're trying to go for, right? So if you're trying to go fast nickel, you want to make it the lowest price item, right? If, or, or close, if you want to do slow dime and you're willing to hold it, hold it and you're okay that your money's tied up, then list it high. Now there is kind of like this, you know, I disagree with this kind of perception that, Hey, if it's the cheapest, it's going to sell the fastest. I think there's truth to that, but I also believe that if you have your stuff priced higher, people are going to want to know why. Mm. And there's like this value proposition where when things are listed higher, sometimes people are more willing to pay up for something because they believe they're getting more quality. Because there's this question that goes on psychologically if something is priced too low, it's like, why are they trying to offer for this? Is there something wrong with it? You know, is there something I don't know? And, And so on. So be clear about that. Make sure you understand that, you know, I sell stuff all the time for way more than other people do, but there's, there's a feedback issue. And we'll talk about that a little bit. I have, you know, a hundred percent, you know, positive feedback. I have more feedback than others. I don't have a lot of feedback comparison. Those have been selling for a while, but that allows me to sell things for more. But the other thing is if your pictures are better, if you have a better return policy, if you have a better shipping policy, blah, 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 you can list higher and you can still sell yourself for more money because there's all these perks that are attached to it. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's probably the case for the higher end items maybe. Um, Cause when you're looking at an item that you're selling for 150 or $200 and you got one person selling it for 190 and you're selling it for, for $203 and you've got better stuff. All right. I mean, people might be willing, like that's not that big of a difference right now. If you're talking about items that like, $30 and one person selling it for 25 and one person selling it for 35. And if the person selling it for 25 has half the feedback, like, but it's still good feedback. I'm buying from the 25, right? Like, cause the difference is significantly higher in price difference. Um, the lower you get and people, and we talk about that too, like mm. higher end items, uh, people are less picky a lot of times. I mean, they might be picky, but, but they're less likely to give you problems, right? They're not going to hassle the same way over certain things. Whereas when you're talking about like just middle of the road, like I think I sell a lot of board games and when I'm buying board games for myself, I'm looking for the deal, right? Like if I'm looking at 
opened used games, even if the like, condition, I mean, I'm looking for good condition and it's like some of them are selling at 15 and some of them are selling at 23, 24. I don't even look at what feedback is. I don't look at return policy. It's like, I'm going to get the cheapest one. But yeah, if I was buying a camera that was 600 bucks, I'm probably going to look at the one that's got 30 day returns and has really good feedback because I've got more invested in it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a great point. So I think it partially matters too on what it is you're selling. And, and that makes sense for the pricing for, for what you have to do. How you price it is going to make a difference. So you can be the higher end price if it's a higher end item, if you've got all these other things to back you up, and that might make a difference. Lower end items, I would say don't let that be a, a discouraging thing. So if you're brand new, you don't have tons of feedback, you might not have all these other things going for you. But if you're the lower price, there's a good chance your stuff's still going to be selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree with what you just said. All right. Now, our preference is buy it now with best offer. Yeah. Right. I would say auctions are antiquated, but there's a place for auctions. Mm-hmm. Right. The place for auctions, I think and you can add here. If it's called the- eBay arbitrage. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. That's different. That's not selling. <laughs> That's you sourcing. But <laughs> it's been nice too, by the way. Uh, you know, auctions are something if you're just trying to get rid of something or it's something unique and you've seen it go up in auction, you you know it's going to go up in price, then it's worth it to you. But most of the time, people want their items right away. Mm. So buy it now is the way to do it. Now, there is a catch. If you're new, understand that if you do buy it now with best offer, we're not at a place that if somebody gives you an offer, that they're going to pay right away. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Right? So you got to determine whether you want to offer that best offer. I say it's good, especially if you're new, uh, because then you can determine like haggling and what the price points are. And you can, you learn the lesson of just taking that first offer. Right. Right. I would say that's, that is even now it's still a hard thing because you've, you may have bought something for a dollar and you want to sell it for 50 and somebody offers you 25 and you're like, no, like that's valued 50. I would say if it's a, if it's a slow day or you want to trigger some other sales, take that 25. I know that sounds crazy. I, I you asked me a year ago, what I've said, I would have said no way, but now I've seen it because what it does is it triggers the algorithm and you get more sales that come in. Mm-hmm. And maybe the issue too might've been you thought it was worth that much, but maybe the market shifted since you listed, right? That's the and other thing. It can thing. go either direction, right? Sometimes you list something and the price goes up and you miss out. Sometimes you list something, the price goes down and it never sells, right? So you, some certain items you got to keep on. Some items, it's like set it and forget it because if the market changes, you don't have time to be looking at it all the time, especially once you get hundreds and hundreds of listings. But yeah, I mean, it makes a difference. Yeah, 100%. So buy it now with best offer, the way to go. Now, free returns. Okay. And I, I throw this into pricing because that's going to determine how I would say pricing and shipping determine your price, right? So if you're doing free returns, right, maybe you, you want to, you know, price it a little bit higher because they may cost you if you do free returns. If you're not doing free returns, then you have a little more to play with. Shipping is where it really matters, right? Mm-hmm. There's two modes, right? There's one where you charge the amount that it's going to cost you to ship in your original price and you offer free shipping. I will say, I don't know how effective that is anymore. That's how I, that, I used to do that a lot, but it's getting harder and harder to do that because shipping has gone up in price. Yeah. 
You know, yeah. especially when first class mail shifted a year ago. Like the, now you can send to, first class mail is almost like six dollars yeah. at the top, which you're only like a dollar away from priority. Yep. Right. So might as well charge for priority shipping and just just be done with it. Yeah. Shipping. Shipping is one of those areas that can be tough. Um, and we recommend using different programs, even like we said, don't just go to the post office. Uh, we're big on pirate ship. Oh, pirate they're great. Ship all the way. They're they're incredible. They've got a great negotiated price. Um, we're not talking about Poshmark on this one, but Poshmark shipping a little easier if you're just kind of if that's your worry. If you're like, I am never going to list on eBay because I just refuse. Like the shipping is too much, too much to deal with. Um, don't give up on reselling altogether. Like at least for now, Poshmark has a sweet deal set up with shipping. You don't even have to worry about it. Um, and so it, it's going to be a learning curve, though. I'll be honest. Treat it, treat your business as a hobby slash business when you're starting. And just like a hobby, there's expenses that you're going to incur. And as a business, your first few months, you might be making profit, but you're going to be bleeding a lot of money because you're not shipping as cheaply and as effectively as you can. You're not listing as effectively as you can. You're not sourcing all the things you could be sourcing. You're going to make mistakes, but those are all learning things. And once you get three, four, five months in, you're going to tighten up that ship and things are going to be better. And that's just, that's part of the growing pains. You got to go through that. And so if you're at a place right now where you're like, this shipping thing just doesn't make sense. Like, should I, should I ship priority? Should I do flat rate? Should I, should I charge them this much? Should I add it in? Just play with it. You might lose some profit. You might break even on a couple of items, but you're going to learn. And by the time you get a couple of months in, you're going to be like, oh yeah, easy. This goes in this mm -hmm. box. It costs this much. So don't let it, don't let it stress you out. Just know it's part of the, it's part of the growing pains. Yeah, and again, I think it's of all. I think shipping is the biggest obstacle to eBay, yep. right? And and I hundred percent agree with you. Like you just learn as you go. But again, it's key is you know make sure you understand. Use the eBay shipping calculator, right? There's the eBay shipping calculator. You can put dimensions in, and you can make sure that you know you're not losing money on that. Yep. Right. So when you, when you do the price though with free shipping, you got to factor in and you got to use, you know, look at the listings, look at what those are. Those that are priced higher on eBay that's sold. Are they priced higher? Cause they offer free shipping. You you want to stay competitive, especially in the beginning. So mm. these are all things you definitely, definitely, definitely want to think about. Right, any more about pricing that I, I had a little bit more. I want to talk about. I don't know. I mean, I'm good. Do, 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 you, do you think people should do whole numbers or should do the 99? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think there's something psychological there. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it. I even did that with shipping. Um, I would do like a set cost, but I would, I would just add shipping. Like if I knew that it was going to be probably cost me $7 to ship, I would set the shipping to like $7.38, right? For my, my fixed price. Mm. That way people psychologically didn't think it was fixed price. Like, oh, that's what it costs. You know, yeah. was it, it creates that sense of like, there's less wiggle room, even with the price of an item. And I mean, it, it seems to be true. Like if you charge $19.99 for something as opposed to 20, people are going to say it's cost 19 bucks versus this cost 20 bucks. And that, that could be a difference, you know? So I don't know, maybe, maybe uh rounding down a penny might make a difference. There's some people that have like 87 yeah. or, you know what I mean? It, it, it's up to you. It's your choice. I mean, you might even be able to uh -huh. use that. I mean, we once you've learned about custom SKUs, which it took us a little while of resale before we started utilizing that well, but you might even be able to use that as like a, a an indicator for you on like how much wiggle room do you have on this item? If it's, if it's 
even oh. number, if it's 99. It's an excellent tip. Yeah. And if it's 98, it's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to drop this, accept offers on this one. But these, like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Like, that's just something. No, you know. I like that. That's kind of, you know, like all these stores, Costco and Target, mm -hmm. like, you know, what clearance stage they're in. And yep. I like that. That's brand new. We've never talked about that ever. Boom. Pure as a podcast exclusive. On our basics back to foundation <laughs> episode. But there's always opportunity to learn. Yeah. Always opportunity to learn. All right. So we talk so we've talked about a lot. We got a few more here, right? Because we have 10 steps. <laughs> so yep. all right. So real quick, I want to recap. Remember, first research, then figure out your capital, then get educated, then figure out what supplies you need, then your title, then your pictures, then your pricing. And now number eight, your description. Yeah. And your description is key. Now, a lot of you that are brand new may go researching on eBay and you'll find these listings that have like Christmas lights and mm -hmm. they have their whole shipping policy on there and they have their whole, you know, like, and some of them are really nasty towards buyers. Like we don't accept any returns. And if this is broken in any way, we will not refund you. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, all that needs to be gone. If you're brand new, all that is already covered. There's a section called business policies. So your shipping policy is there. Your, um, there's your shipping policy, your your policy on returns is there. Every single policy, your sales tax. Back in the day, I used to have a little thing about, you know, you have to pay sales. That's all done. eBay takes care of all that, right? So, you need to keep it simple. Now, I would say, I agree a hundred percent, and all of my listings are simple. Maybe a sentence or two description, maybe more if there's like a lot of things to explain about something. But I keep it simple. I would say if your business model shifts towards something like your store only sells music CDs and you've got like, cause sometimes I like when I go to companies that sell certain things and like in their description, it's all set up to like, if you want to buy this and two for three and like, this are like our deals and they've got extra stuff. Like if you buy this with this, you'll get this price. And this. that makes sense of like, that's your focus. But most people aren't going that route. So I would say, yeah, get rid of all of the extra HTML coding and all the cool things that people do. That's just old. I saw something funny today. It was kind of like, um, I think it, some kind of meme and it set up if, if Instagram was in like the, the early 2000 or 90s or whatever. And it was an old, it must have been 90s because it was like, it looked like a Windows 98 computer with like the old school like, file box thing and like pictures in it and people scrolling through and then like a picture would open up and then there's like a little bit of motion graphics on it mm -hmm. and it just looked cheesy and it's like yeah but back in the day that was cool a lot of that stuff now when you look on certain ebay stuff it's like yeah that was cool when ebay first came out that's not the trend anymore though not trending yeah now the other but if you do that and you're a listener i'm sorry like we're not trying to offend you maybe it is maybe you get way more sales and we're wrong no i mean ebay ebay's trying to eliminate all that you don't when e I always say if eBay says do something a certain way, you probably want to do it that way because mm. they, they there's something in the algorithm that's there. So, all right. Now, along with that, you had mentioned, uh, you know, they have all these deals. Oh, this is what I was thinking about. So you like going to places that just have CDs and stuff. All right. Understand. So a lot of there's a discussion that recently I mean, this happens every once in a while. Like people are like, hey, I want to have a special niche store and, you know, I don't want to sell my coffee machine with my shoes reality is buyers don't care mm. right unless maybe it's a super niche like commercial machines or lps or something but for the most part who really goes into stores and starts searching now i've had people 
bundle things when they go into my store and like, hey, I want to buy this and this and this and this and they'll put it together. But don't get caught up. Don't think like, oh, I can't source this item because my store only has this. It doesn't matter. I have sold espresso machines for a ton of money. At the same time, I sold a sports bra, mm-hmm. right? No one cares. Or I sold dirty hiking boots or I've sold, you know, I don't know, some kind of Starbucks cup or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Don't get caught up in that. Okay. Now, the other part is, this is what people, you know, debate is measurements. Do you, do you do measurements and all your stuff? Yeah, um, definitely more than I used to. Uh, there's yeah. only certain measurements I do. I know some people like, man, I, I watch some YouTube videos where people like for shirts that they sell, like put in like 12 different measurements <laughs> and they use like an actual program where they like put it in and actually oh, yeah. print out like a JPEG of like the sleeve size and like that number's in there. Like um, I just pretty much do like, and depending on the, the item, it might be different, but it's like armpit to armpit, right? Neckline to bottom. And usually that's it, right? For most items, because it's like people know their size kind of. And if you give them the measurements, they're going to get close enough and they're going to be happy with it. If you don't give any measurements, there's a good chance it's going to be like, you said this was a small, but this fits more like a medium. Yeah. And you'll end up with an item not as described, which is not a good metric to get. So yeah. So clothing definitely want to have measurements, right? And now if it's newer clothing is brand new, you could maybe get away without measurements. So I'll I'll give you an example. So I sell a lot of, uh, should I reveal this? No. I sell, let's say Nike, uh, athletic apparel, right? And it's new. And so most people, whether it's, you know, um, what do you call those pants that people work out in that are tight? Yoga, Yoga pants? pants? Okay. All right. Leggings? So, yeah. Leggings, whatever. Like I'll sell those. I won't put the measurements in there. I'll just put XL small. Cause most people, right. It's, it's tight to fit. So it doesn't matter if I know the size of the inseam or I know the size of the waist. Most people know mm-hmm. that. So I've never had an issue with that. Right. But if it's like you said, if it's older clothes, especially vintage, you want to put measurements because an XL in the 1980s is different than an XL now. Mm. Right. So measurements and it saves you a lot of time. But you also want to have measurements of other stuff, whether it's a wallet, whether it's a statue, it's a plush, whatever those you want to have the wallet for two reasons. One, it saves you from an item that is described. And number two, the buyers buy with confidence knowing what the measurement of the item already is. Yeah. And one thing I do a lot of times um, to remove putting tons in the description is sometimes I'll just take a picture of of like the, what's it called? Like the tape measure, mm-hmm. like a clothing tape measure just laid out in front of the item. Right. So like duck decoy, right? I put the duck decoy down and usually for that, I'm going to put like, okay, it's seven inches, but some items I don't like some items. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but you just, you just. I, I don't put measurements for everything, but a lot of times I'll just lay out the, the, the thing so people can see like, Oh, that's about four inches. If they really care to see like perspective, like we talked about using a quarter maybe to like show how small something really is. And sometimes I'll use the tape measure just to show like, here's how tall this part of this piece is. Right. And I just lay it down there and I take the picture and I don't do anything else. And maybe people care about that. Maybe they don't, but I feel like at least I'm covered. Cause it's like, look at the picture for the, the item details and maybe that's not the right way to do it but that is maybe a way to do it or at least a supplemental way because you might say something's four inches but if they don't like actually see like oh but that's four inches from here to here this side of this i thought it was four inches at the base but that's four inches up you know so yeah agreed now when it comes to condition okay so always be clear if there's any flaws right or is there something not working but i will say if there's comes a uh, there comes a point where there's too much Right. And it's going to overwhelm. You could always put cosmetic wear throughout, or you could say, 
you know, there's multiple, you know, dents in the, in the radio. Please take a look at the pictures, right? You can, you need, you want to keep it succinct, right? You don't want it to go on too long because you remember if people are mobile, right? They're not want to, they don't want to keep scrolling, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if people aren't, aren't willing to read past four lines on a news website, when there's a news story that drops, why are they going to read any more on your listing? Right. Right. So you got to keep it now. You, you got to make it in a way where it's very clear that, Hey, everything can be found in the picture. So that means your pictures have to be good pictures. Yeah. And you can be funny too. I mean, not funny. I mean, I, we talked about this one time, so take this for whatever it's worth. But when you're selling items as used, broken for parts, I saw a great description because I've had one person that responded to used item broken for parts with all this wear and tear of like, this is in bad condition and wasn't wrapped right. You know, like you should make sure it's bubble wrapped more. It was, it was a nightmare. <laughs> Anyways, um, you could... Do like well, I saw one person's description was like, this item is a piece of junk. You are buying something that is broken, torn up, and it looks like it's been run over by a truck. It's going to be sent through USPS, so expect that it will be run over by a truck before it gets to you. Like, that's funny, and it's, you know, you might get a customer to laugh, but like, especially if you're selling something like that, it's better to be open and honest than to try and be sneaky, because people oh, would yeah. rather, people would rather know like, hey, you're, you're, you're kind of like the whole like under promise and over deliver, right? Like, it's better to say like, this is stained and they get it and then you show the pictures and it's like, Oh, it's not that bad. And they get it and like, yeah, it's better than I thought because then they're more likely to leave you a positive view. But if you're like light marking and then they get it and they're like, Whoa, this is like really stained. Yeah, that's a great reminder. You have to remember they're going to have it in their hands. Yeah. Like I, and I, I, I admit like my first couple of years, there's a part of me that was like, well, I don't need to put all this. But then I started thinking and going, <laughs> they're going to have it in their hands. They're going to have it more time than I will. Yeah, they're going to look at it more than you do. Yeah. So they're going to figure it out. So make sure to be clear in description about that. I like it. All right, let's go to the next one. Building feedback. So this is huge, right? Because you're going to hit seller limits, right? And one of the ways to prevent, you know, the fact that you'll get seller limits is to get good feedback. So there's a couple of ways of doing this. Number one is you could sell quality items. Right. And, you know, sell a good amount of them. But the other route that's probably easier is selling cheaper items. And I don't know if cheap's the word I want to use, but inexpensive, items, inexpensive right? Yeah. That'll sell quick and give you that feedback. Another way is you can make purchases that'll give you feedback. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right? I mean, you could go either route, but the thing is you want to build that feedback. Right. And, and the key, like it's part of that under, under promise and over deliver Right. One of the easiest ways to do that is by shipping fast. Mm. Right. You want to ship fast, especially in the beginning, because people are going to look and if they're, you know, they have a higher price item, they're going to want the item getting faster than them because that's less time that it's on a conveyor belt or a truck or somewhere that it's going to get damaged. So just because eBay says, hey, this is expected to arrive at this time doesn't mean you got to ship it so it arrives at that time. You right. want it to get there a lot faster. I like it. Okay. Now, another thing I wanted to talk about feedback is this is something uh, that I never thought about. I actually, uh, um, Rally Roots had mentioned this in one of the videos I thought I'd share here. So I want to credit them. But if you buy from bigger sellers, they automatically give you feedback. Mm -hmm. I never thought about that. Like, I still don't do that. So I'm not a bigger seller, I guess. You don't give feedback right away? No. I don't know why. I'm so old school. Like, I hold, I hold on until I get feedback from. The buyer, don't don't copy me. Yeah. That's just what I do. Yeah, it doesn't matter. 
Yeah. Like realities, once eBay took away feedback for buyers, you used to be able to give buyers feedback. Mm-hmm. Once they took that away, I would say like you, there's no like chess game. Like, hey, you give me good feedback or you're not going to get feedback, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So you give it right away, huh? Yeah, we give it. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's like they pay, we give it. Do you have the auto send or no? Um, No, I think, I, it, I mean, it's just, we probably, the moment they pay, like whenever we're shipping stuff out, we just go through and give any feedback of like people who paid. Okay. Yep. All right. So, but that's one way of doing things. Another one I've, I've heard of before is uh, <laughs> people will buy a lot of cheap items. Right. So you, you know, you buy 10 and usually it's like from the company, the Chinese companies that are selling stuff for super mm-hmm. cheap. You buy 10 of them and boom, you'll get your 10 feedback right away. Yep. Right. So, so, but you're getting like as buyer feedback and that, that still removes seller limits. It, it gives you more feedback. Yeah. It gives you like overall feedback, but like you can, you can differentiate feedback as buyer feedback as seller. You can, but it, it shows a good track record still overall. Right. What I mean though is like, yeah, when you call do, eBay, does that does that make a difference for like the initial seller limits you face? It might. It might. I will tell you, it gives it more face value. Like, hey, I've bought ten dollars worth of stuff, but no one's gonna know that unless they go to like you know, unless you have the option that people can click on the items that you buy. Right. You can actually remove that option. Right. You keep it private. But at face value, some some buyers are going to look at the feedback, right? And having 10 is way better than having zero. Having 50 is way better than having zero. Having a thousand is way better than having zero. Right. And I would argue you see a lot of people that, what what made you laugh? I mean, that's probably true. A thousand is a little bit better than zero. (laughs) We escalated on that one. We did. We did. I just need to take it next level. Okay. But here's, here's another thing I want you to think about feedback is that it does matter. It does matter. You, yeah, we had we had a, a neutral feedback the other day. And I know they say that it doesn't affect your your positions in the algorithm or whatever, but it was an unfair neutral that we got removed. And the moment we had it removed, sales started coming in again. Yeah. I and you don't know why. I mean, it could have been multiple reasons, but could have been. don't you know, some people are like, Oh, it doesn't matter if you have a ninety eight percent or ninety nine. It does matter. I'm telling you, I will sell higher price items. In comparison to other people that have terrible reviews, and I think it's strictly because of feedback. I would say it only matters if it's impacting the algorithm. I don't think really? I don't think a customer is looking at something and saying this person has a hundred, this person has ninety nine percent, this person with a hundred is selling their item for twenty dollars more. I'm buying from them because of that one percent. I can't imagine that. I don't know. I, I will say I myself, I look at feedback now. I will look at the negative and go, why did they get the negative? Right. That's the other thing. If you're new and your feedback, don't be a jerk in your feedback. Like what I see, what I see all the time, you'll see these sometimes. I don't know if maybe you you have a life and I don't, but you'll go to feedbacks and like somebody will say person never responded and somebody will be like, yeah, this jerk, I, you know, I try to get a hold of them, but they're just an idiot. Like, don't, I've actually seen people put that, like the response. Don't do that. Cause you just look like a moron. Like, don't do it. Just don't. It looks like you're losing your cool. You're not a proper business. It's just not good. Agreed. But man, like with that Jimmy Fallon, uh, what was it? Uh, Yelp reviews clip that he had was hilarious. You should YouTube that. 
Um, no, it's and there's there is parts where like the response from the owner is like gold, and I would love like if I saw somebody with negative feedback, but their response was like perfect, like totally destroying the person, but in a way that was like clever and smart, and you can tell they weren't just like I hate you, you know. Like I think that would actually win points for me. I mean, I've seen, I've seen I saw one that said like. Obviously, this person's from Loserville. Like, like, why? Like, why would you put that there? And yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of subtlety or like <laughs> clever wordplay when you're doing that. That's no, for sure. I just I just don't like as a buyer, you would look and go, "Man, this person's mean." Can you respond want... back to that and say, "I'm rubber, you're glue"? Like, no, yeah, I don't know. There's only one response. All right, so that is. Make sure to so work on building your feedback. All right, this last point out of the ten is the most important point. We leave the best for last. Yeah, best for last. And it's this. This reselling, if you're new, it's going to take determination and patience. Yeah, it's a mindset thing. It really is. Like you can't you can't go into it one thinking that it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard, but it's doable. And it's in times it's going to be way more enjoyable than you think, and at times it's going to be a grind and it's going to be a struggle. And there's going to be times, I remember when I first started where I would message Orlando and say like, man, I haven't had a sell in like a week. And like, it's just, well, it's the point. Should I list more? Do I, need, do I need to source more? And when you're first starting anything, patience is always an issue because you're expecting things to happen quick. And a lot of times when you first start selling, it does happen quick. And then you hit a rut. When they hook you in. Yeah, they hook you in. And then you hit a rut. And then you realize, wait a minute, I'm not getting a ton more sales. But you got to keep going, you keep going and you keep listening and you keep doing what's right. And if you're doing what's right and you're 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 buying quality items, and you're pricing it fairly, it's going to sell. I mean, I'm 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 I look at inventory all the time of my own. That's like, man, this stuff has been sitting for a while, but I've developed the mindset of this is a long game. This is stuff that's on my shelf and it might take me six months or a year to sell this thing, but it's going to sell and I'm going to make money. And I have enough of those things selling every day, every week. Mm-hmm. There's like, Oh yeah, I bought that three months ago. I bought that. And I'm not thinking like this has to sell tomorrow, but I have constant revenue coming in that I can buy more stuff that I can say, yeah, it can sit. That's what's allowing me to win right now. Going back to my hustle of the week for like the Craigslist ad, right. Is because there are some people who want money now and I'm willing to give them the money they want now. That's less than what their items are worth. Because I'm willing to wait the year, two years it takes to sell this item for what I could get for it. And so, yeah, that takes a lot of determination and patience. And you're not going to get there right away unless you're just already naturally that person. But if you if you think about it, like I think one of the best ways of describing like a store is if you had a store, you walked in and all you had in the store was like Heinz ketchup and you got a bunch of them. And it's like if somebody walks into your grocery store and that's what you have, you might sell some. But there's going to be a lot of people going in like, yeah, I don't need ketchup, right? Like I need mm-hmm. bread and eggs. So then you start buying bread and eggs and you're starting to sell more items. And then people are like, yeah, but I don't need bread, eggs or ketchup. I need I need milk, right? And so the more items you start getting in your store, the more likely you're going to get sales. And it the, that, that Heinz ketchup might only sell every once in a while. But because you've got other things, that's okay. And that takes patience and determination. And, and you got to think about your store. You're building up a pipeline. You're building up this inventory that is going to eventually sell, but you got to keep going and you got to work through those ruts. Yeah, agreed. And you know, there it, the the number. A lot of people ask is how many numbers did you need? How many items did you need listed before you had consistent sales? And I used to always throw out the five hundred number. Mm-hmm. I still think that is the number. Maybe it's six hundred now, 
But the other part is it all depends on what you're selling. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so you may be able to sell through stuff. I mean, Cindy from Amazing Taste, mm-hmm. she sells through her store yep. like pretty much every, every month. Every month. Yeah. It's it's an it's amazing. So it's amazing taste store. <laughs> so you know, you got to think about that, but yeah, it's a patience game. Uh, and I'm not going to repeat what Mike said, but understand <laughs> this is common sense, but the more listed, the more sales you're going to have. Yeah. All right. For Over- two reasons. One algorithm two, you just got more likely you have what people are looking for. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Now, the other part is you have to understand you're going to make mistakes. Don't, if somebody says I've never bought something that I never lost money on, it's not true. I, I I just gonna throw it out there because the, it's we're humans. We make mistakes, and there will be that item early on. You're gonna have a lot of items that, even though you listen to this podcast, even though you did all the research, even though you did everything right, you will buy an item that you will lose money on, an item that you will have listed for a long time, an item that you're gonna end up donating, an item that has a flaw. An item that when you bought it, you bought it when the market was downturning on that item. Like that happens because, you know, it's one of those things where in reselling, like there's this, there's this idea that everything that you buy will always sell for a ton of money. And it's not true. Sometimes you're just going to have to take your losses. The other thing is uh, you, okay. Along with this, not only are you going to make mistakes, I mean, not only are you going to lose money, but you're going to make mistakes, I would say, in shipping. Oh, yeah. And you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And you can't let that get you down. I know so many people that that was the end for them. Mm-hmm. Right? They they bought something that was huge. They spent all this time shipping, and they lost $20 on the item. And they're like, just not doing this anymore. But that's going to separate you from the crowd. Is your determination, your patience, you're willing to make this happen. And sometimes, understand, for me to go full-time, it took five good years. And even now, I still, <laughs> I feel miserably at times and stuff. It takes time. And th- the last part, this is the 10.10 letter E, <laughs> if we had an outline, is you have to be willing to learn and adapt. Yeah, that's crucial. I mean, you come in, you're going to start, if you come into this and you're like an expert at, baseball cards. You love baseball cards. You collect baseball cards. And you find some baseball cards at thrift stores and some garage sales. You're going to make some money on that. And then you're going to realize that you're not finding any of that and you got to move to something else. And then you are gonna might realize that like the type of cards you were selling and you have in stock now aren't selling for as much. And things change all the time. And so um, when we had our interviews, Craigslist Hunter, I don't remember the exact number he said, but it's like every, every so many months learn like one new niche. Mm-hmm. And just you've got to be willing to adapt because right now something might be hot. Going back to our hustle of the week, right? Like TikTok jelly candies, right? It's like, this is huge. And you go all in on it. And then all of a sudden that fat is gone. It's like, that was my gravy train, right? Like sometimes things last for years and it's just like, man, I can't, I can't just, I can't keep used shoes on the shelf. And then all of a sudden that market starts to dip and dip and dip. And it's like, if that's all you've got, you're going to fail. But if you're willing to say like, okay, this, this market's changing a little bit. I need to learn something else. I need to invest in some new ideas. And then maybe those shoes come back or maybe whatever it is, you know, upturns again. But you got to be willing to adapt. You got to be willing to to pivot and change and grow. Uh, and that goes back to that idea of researching and and not being afraid to step out of your comfort zone. When I first started selling, I was like, man, I'm never doing women's clothing. I've got 
boxes and totes full of women's clothing now. Now when I go to garage sales, I'm I'm looking through women's jeans and I'm like, that is not something I ever like had a passion for or an interest in learning these brands and learning what styles were important. But I was willing to adapt and learn something because there was money there that I was leaving on the table. Mm-hmm. And along with the adapting is understanding that fees will change. I think, what, you know, you always hear it called Feebay, mm-hmm. right? But I'm like, really? Feebay? Well, Poshmark takes 20%. Like it's, it's all perspective, right? And so you have to adapt. So maybe that means you have to, you know, when you got into brand new reselling, you looked at all the fees and you have to adapt. Like, okay, maybe I don't need to buy this item because the fees are so high that it's not worth it for me to pick up. Or maybe I need to price this higher. Or maybe I need to, you know, adapt my shipping costs. Whatever it is, understand that the fees give you access to a platform to millions and millions of buyers, right? So you have to learn and adapt about how that goes and understand. But I think the most important part is you just said, you have to understand the market. You have to understand what sells and you have to be willing to adapt with every change. And when you're new, there's already going to be things that you're going to be learning and it's what's going to separate you from other sellers. That's right. So we got through all 10 points. Yeah. So hopefully... If you're new, this helped you. Always know we're on Instagram and all the social. If you ever want to DM us, there's questions. And we also have another segment, you know, about, hey, do you want to be a full-time reseller? Now, a couple of things I want to throw people to is check out other episodes that will help you that build onto this. So, for instance, episode five is about the global shipping program. That will help you to be able to make those sales international. Episodes 40 and 52, ship tips, that'll help you, right? That'll talk about all about shipping. And there's an episode about Fast Cynical Slow Down. It'll explain to you the dynamics about both. There's all kinds of different episodes. So go through our library and add those to this episode about being new to eBay. Love it. So with that being said, hey, make sure to be real. Be relevant. And be reselling. Peace. Peace.